It's good to be back with you again this week. Um, I hope you've had a, a great week, although it's been, I know, uh, tumultuous for all of us. Um, coming from uh, our church home here, uh, our building, uh, what we're learning though, that the uh, church is not the building, right? The church is the church and uh, you are the church. And so I'm glad to be able to visit with you in this format. And to all those who are uh, new to Redeemer, we welcome you uh, to this broadcast. And as we get to uh, study the word of God together and sing together and pray and be the people of God together, this is a rallying point for our community and we're glad that you're, you're here with us. Um, you know, as I visited with you last week, we talked a, a lot about uh, the background of all the things that were going on in this great story of Ruth. And I, I encouraged you um, in these very current moments of upheaval to look at the story that's very old. And in looking at those stories, we see that people of God have gone through these types of situations for a long time. Uh, the people of God have known um, uh, times of brokenness when everything seems to fall apart, where there's apprehension, where there's panic, where it seems things are so uncertain. This has not been an aberration for the people of God. It has not been something that's been uh, unusual. This has been the life of the people of God since there have been the people of God. And so as we walk into this uh, situation with the coronavirus and all the things that are happening around us and the economy and all the things that are seem to be falling apart, I want you to know this is, uh, this is nothing new for God. And this is nothing new for God's people. Although I think every time we as God people, God's people go through things, they seem new again. And so today, um, uh, as, as your news feeds are, I'm sure, are going off, and as you've been probably stuck to the TV or, or to um, Facebook, um, I, I want to encourage us to find answers in a story again that's very old. Um, you know, it seems that there's a wealth of information, but a dearth of understanding. The Bible's full of these stories that uh, we get to see. And as we go through the Old Testament, and for those who've been a part of the life of our church, we've been going through book by book the Old Testament, sometimes spending one or two weeks in a particular book and getting just an overview of what that book is saying. And so uh, today we are in 1 Samuel. Last week we are in the book of Ruth. Um, and it is, once again, a tumultuous time. In the book of Ruth, we see that uh, it is the time of the judges. And the book of Samuel then begins at the, the end of the time of judges and a transition to a new time for the children of Israel. And that is the time of the kings. Now, the, the background behind this story is it is a very terrible time in the life of the children of Israel. They have continued to disobey God and they have been uh, oppressed. Their economies have fallen apart. They're living in holes in the ground. And it is kind of the things that we are afraid are going, is going to happen to us. They're actually living them out. And so the book of Ruth is this, this story of a faithful family um, living out God's love towards each other, towards their community, and then experiencing God's love. God's love not just to their family, but God's love to the bigger family of the children of Israel. And so that's where we left off uh, one page before the beginning of First Samuel is the last book of uh, the last chapter of Ruth. And so now we launch into this story uh, found in First Samuel. Now, this is a, a, a big book. There are many, many stories in it. And there are many stories that you may have even heard in Sunday school. We're not going to hit all of them. Obviously, we don't have the time. We're just going to skim through them. So forgive me for my brevity on these points. 
The, the story is rich, and I wish we could spend a year just going through the book of Samuel. But uh, in this format, we're just going to touch bits and pieces as we go along. And so I want you to know the general flavor of the book of 1 Samuel. And that is that there are several characters that you need to, will be meeting along the way. There are three main characters. Uh, there is Samuel, there is uh, King Saul, and King David. Now, with those three main characters, there are also some uh, minor characters that play very important roles. The first two we're going to meet is a lady named Hannah, and then we're going to meet a priest whose name is Eli. Uh, along the way, we're also going to run to the son of King Saul, and his name is Jonathan. And all of these ha are very important characters, although they're minor characters in the story. So as we begin, uh, let me read you the first, uh, first couple of verses here. It says, there is a certain man of Ramathaim, Zephim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, son of, son of an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Panina. And Panina had children, but Hannah had no children. In this story, I want you to see not only these characters, which we just met the first one, her name is Hannah, but we're also going to see some very uh, vivid themes. And you're going to hear these words throughout, especially as maybe you read through this at home. You're going to hear uh, the words uh, sight, you're going to hear uh, sight words, you're going to hear hearing words, and then you're going to hear words about obedience. So really, there are three questions that, are, that you can ask when you look through the book of Samuel. Can you hear? Can you see and will you do? Can you hear, can you see, and what will you do? And so each of these characters can be judged on those three questions. Our first character is this lady named Hannah. Now Hannah is uh, really married to a nobody, although there are lots of names there. These aren't very important people in the story. And, and Hannah uh, is the second wife, but she's the most loved. Uh, of her husband, but she has a very uh, terrible situation. She has no children. Uh, in other words, the, her womb is not fruitful. She's not able to produce any children. That's how they would consider that. That's how it's written in this book. And so she goes to the temple for worship. And when she goes there, she prays fervently to the Lord that she might have a child, that she might be, be able to produce children for this family. There was great honor in that, and she was not able to do it. And so she prays fervently, and we hear about this priest. Now, Eli, the priest, he is, he's a tragic story throughout. He is uh, someone who um, is serving as priest, but he doesn't seem to be able to hear. The Bible says he can't see. <laughs> and he has two sons that he, he hears, he knows about their unrighteousness. He knows that they're, they're unfair, terrible kinds of people but he doesn't do anything about it. And so the, this tragic story, this man, this, this uh, uh, priest whose name is Eli, he sees Hannah praying, and because she is fervently praying, the Bible says she's praying in her mind, and her lips are moving, but she's not saying anything. So Eli sees this woman, and he, she imagines that she's drunk. Well, he has a wrong perspective, doesn't he? he? He's missed what's really happening here. I think the problem is, Eli is so unfamiliar with fervent prayer that he mistakes what this woman is doing for kind of what everybody else does. They're drunk. They're out of their minds. And so Eli can't see. 
What's really happening here? This woman is faithful and fervent, and she actually is making a promise to God. If you'll give me a child, I will devote that child to you. I, I won't even keep him in my house. I will send him into this ministry to be raised by Eli to serve God day and night. I'm devoting this child to you. What a, what a precious prayer for this woman. You know what? And God hears this prayer. And she has a son. And his name is Samuel. Which means God hears. And so Hannah rejoices at the birth of this child. It is a miracle. And she, she prays this prayer in chapter 2. And just uh, you, you, you heard that read earlier in the service. So I'm not going to read through all of it, but I want you to hear just a, a phrase of that in uh, verses two and three. It says, there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not your arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. She's, she's praying this prayer. She's, she's celebrating the birth of her son. But as you read through this, you kind of think, is she really talking about this son? Is she really talking about her situation? There's some big ideas in here. There's some beautiful things. And I think what's really being done here is, it, this is not just talking about one woman and her child. As glorious as that is, I think there's something that's, bigger going on here, that there's this uh, woman and she is not fruitful. She is loved by her, by her husband, but yet there is no, there's no action. There's no life coming from her. And yet she calls out to God. God hears and gives her a child. And now she becomes fruitful. And all these blessings and all these truths come from the birth of this child and from a new hope and a new way. It's as if God is using this kind of allegory, this woman's life, to explain his relationship to his people. That they have been unfruitful up until this day. They have not lived out as the people of God. And they occasionally come back and pray out and pray to him and call out and, and ask him to, to save them. And God listens. Samuel. God hears. And when God hears, God does. He takes action. And he, he gives this woman an offspring. And this offspring means so much. As you read, and you can read for yourself, chapter 2. God is going to bless the nation because of this child. And this child grows up in the house of Eli. And he uh, grow, gets gets a little older, and, and we'll look here in verses 3, 1 through three, 3, and it says this. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. So Samuel is living in the house of Eli. Eli can barely see. And the next part of the story goes that Samuel is asleep. Eli is asleep. 
And God calls out to Samuel. In fact, he calls out to him three times. And each time, Samuel goes to Eli and says, what, what do you want from me? And Eli, he doesn't hear the voice. You see, he's become deaf. He can't hear the word of God. He doesn't know what's going on. And he says, next time you hear the voice, speak to God. Listen to what he has to say. And so that's what Samuel does. He listens to what God says. God is calling Samuel to something greater. He's also saying Eli is wicked and there are terrible things that are going to happen to him and to his family. You know, there's a real connection between hearing and seeing, understanding the things of God in obedience. Eli is not obedient. Eli is not taking care of the disobedience of his children. So it becomes the foundation of the religious practices is broken because of Eli and because of his sons. And therefore, he doesn't, he can't understand what's going on. He doesn't understand the bigger vision that God has for his people. He's lost in these days. So Samuel grows up in Eli's house. And I'll skip ahead in the story. One day they the children of Israel decide to go out and fight the Philistines and they gather the Ark of the Covenant and they, they kind of take it out as a, like a, a, magic, a magic amulet or something to, uh, to try and, and fight against the Philistines. They, they think of the thing rather than the God who uh, re- his spirit rests on the Ark. And so as they go out, they lose the Ark to the Philistines. The Philistines take the Ark and so there's a, a messenger who comes back from, from the war and everyone is, everyone's been defeated and the, and the sons of Eli have died. And this messenger comes up to Eli and, and he hears all this, what's going on and he says, what's happened? And he says, he, he says, the ark has been lost and your sons have been killed. And the Bible says, because Eli was heavy, that he fell back in his chair and broke his neck and died. It's a sober end to Eli's life. Heavy. He was old and heavy, the Bible said. He didn't gorge himself on the things that did not belong to him. And he died. The, the word then goes to one of the son's wives who's pregnant. And she gives birth early. And as the baby is coming out, they say, what should we name the child? And the dying woman says, in our last words, call the child Ichabod, which means the glory of the Lord has departed Israel. Ah. (laughs) There is probably no lower point in the nation of Israel in that moment. So as Israel is in this terrible place, the call becomes even greater for a king. They want someone who will lead them out into battle, someone that they can see. And and so they, they make this call to God and God hears them. And so Samuel becomes upset. He is this, Samuel is this transition judge uh, who is going to be also the kingmaker. And Samuel feels rejected because He's the one who's leading Israel at this time. And the people are saying, we, we want a king to do this. And so God tells Samuel, don't, 
they are not rejecting you when they're asking for a king. God is saying that he is the one who's being rejected. And so God says, okay, um, I'll basically he'll give them what they want. You find that sometimes some of the things that we want when those prayers are answered are not really what we want. And that's where uh, Elijah would be saying amen right there. And so God sends Samuel out to anoint a king. And so there is in chapter 9, verse 2, the introduction of the next main character, and that is Saul. And 9, 2, it says this, And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. You know, rarely do we get kind of physical descriptions of people in the Bible, but this is an important one. It's saying here that on the outside, our man Saul looks like a king. If you're going to have a king, like this guy fits the description. He is handsome. He's more handsome than anybody else. He's taller than anybody else. In fact, he's a head taller than anyone else. Tall, dark, and handsome. This is the guy. And even at the beginning, acts like a king. He is everything that you would want. He is powerful and strong. He leads them into war. Their first time together fighting in war, they, they win. Things look to be going pretty good. It seems like a good decision by the children of Israel to ask for this king. But it doesn't take long until Saul begins to fade. That he reminds us of those judges that we saw in the book of Judges. He begins to falter. You see where, the, where he becomes afraid. In one story, he is told by Samuel to wait a certain time, seven days. And at the end of seven days, Samuel would come and offer sacrifices, and then they could go into battle. Well, day seven comes, there's no Samuel. He's worried. The Philistines have begun to, to come together in their garrison. They're ready to fight against the children of Israel, but the children of Israel are nervous because it doesn't appear like things are going to work out. And so they begin leaving Samuel, and Samuel begins to leave uh, Saul. And Saul becomes afraid. He doesn't know what's going to happen next. He knows that he's supposed to wait for Samuel. Samuel has not showed up, so he begins to offer the sacrifices in place of Samuel. And it seems as soon as he is done offering the sacrifices, Samuel shows up and says, what are you doing? And Saul says that it was you who were late. And that's why I had to sacrifice. The people were leaving. Everything appeared to be falling apart. This begins like a, a, a real slide for Saul. He begins to disobey more and more, to not do what the instructions of God were, to not be faithful. In another battle, Saul was told by Samuel that as they go in a fight the, fight the Amalekites, that they were totally to destroy them, destroy their king Agag. But they don't. Uh, they defeat them, but they, they save some of, the, some of the best produce for themselves. And so, they, they do offer sacrifice, but they don't devote everything as God had commanded. So Samuel comes to Saul and he says in, in uh, verse, uh, verse 22 of chapter 15, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than fat of rams. You see this picture here once again of, 
of obedience and listening and hearing, all those things are together. God would prefer, instead of the religious actions, the, 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 the offering of sacrifices, just do what God has commanded you to do. The one thing that Saul would not be willing to do. Saul was always concerned about what other people were thinking. In fact, after this, he says, now please don't make me look bad in front of the people, in front of the elders. And so as Samuel goes to leave from there, Saul grabs after Samuel to turn him around, to maybe to explain himself some more. But as he did that, it rips his coat. And so Samuel spins around and says to Saul, just as you have, been, just as you have ripped my coat, so shall the kingdom of God be ripped from you. It was part of God's plan. It's part of God's process of the kingdom being ripped away from Saul. It gets worse and worse and worse. And so uh, there's great complaints against Saul. Samuel is upset. And God says that he, he is going to anoint someone else. This is our, our third character, David. And so Samuel goes by God's command to anoint the new king, the king that is going to take over for Saul. He goes to a man by the name of Jesse. And if you remember from our story last week, we heard that Jesse is the grandson of the child of Ruth and Boaz. They go to Jesse and they they tell Jesse that uh, they've come to anoint a king and he asks for Jesse's sons. And so Jesse trots out his oldest son, as you can imagine. He is the the strongest. He's He's the best looking of the bunch. He looks like a king. And so Samuel is happy to see him, but he's not the king. God doesn't give him agreement that this is going to be the king. So he asks for another son. He brings out the next oldest. That's not the right son. He's not going to be the king. And another, and another, another. And finally, all the sons are gone. And Samuel asks, is there anyone else? Oh, yes, Jesse says, I have one more son. He's the youngest. He's the smallest. He's out in the fields. Bring him to me. And so this Young, handsome, but ruddy kid comes in from the wilderness and stands before Samuel. And God says, this is the one. This one is going to be the king. He sure didn't look like a king. So in in 16, verse 7, it says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Are you beginning to see the full frame here? God's ways are not our ways. There are ways that seem like efficient, like it would make sense for for Saul to sacrifice. He, He was losing his army, like do something. But it's not part of God's economy. When you're looking for a new king, look for someone who could maybe be a substitute for Saul, not this little kid. But it's not part of God's economy. It's not part of his plan. Some of the things that seem efficient and seem to make sense in this world aren't a part of God's plan. Listen to the next few summaries. Uh, We'll move pretty quickly here. David then uh, is raised up and he goes into battle against Goliath. And many of you know that story where God uses this very small guy, this young kid, to defeat this terrible giant. We see not too long after that, Saul... Um, becomes incensed at David. He becomes jealous of David and plans to kill David. We also see this minor character that we meet. This is a great story of a man named Jonathan. This is Saul's son. And Saul's son, Jonathan, 
befriends David. And he recognizes in David that he is going to be the next king, that David is going to be the next king. Did you understand? That, that David is going to take Jonathan's place. Jonathan is heir to the throne. That's how kingships work. But he recognizes God's divine plan that David is to step into that role. This is crazy. Jonathan sees the bigger picture, but his dad cannot. It's not what the world would say. The world would inform Jonathan, don't be friends with David. Assist your father in killing David. He looks like the next heir to the throne. You're the heir to the throne. You see, Jonathan had eyes to see something greater. He, un he understood God's plan. Saul becomes later more wicked and pursues David. And then David has two golden opportunities to kill Saul. Once in a cave, and another time he sneaks up while he's asleep, while Saul's asleep. But David doesn't kill him. All of his men want him to kill Saul. Saul, after all, is trying to kill all of them and has been ruthless to anyone who's helped, Saul, uh, helped David up to this point. You see, Saul is becoming more wicked. But David is understanding a bigger picture. He refuses to kill Saul because Saul is God's anointed. He would have been efficient. It only makes sense. You see, David and Jonathan and Samuel, they have ears to hear. Hannah, they can see things. They, can, they, they understand that there's something greater going on. What to make of all this? Do you have eyes to see? You have ears to hear? You know, the, the world around us has become a secular world. Uh, the worldview is, is that anything can be explained by science, uh, a, a real discrediting of miracles, uh, of the word of God. If there is a God, he exists kind of out there, not involved in the world. The problem with the secular worldview is there is no category in the thinking of the secular world for suffering. Because in order to find meaning, you can't find meaning in something out there. You have to find something meaningful in your experience. So things have to have meaning. People have to have meaning. And so if your meaning comes from your work, if it comes from your social action, if your meaning comes from your relationships, if your meaning comes from your possessions, if it comes from those things, eventually all those things are lost. They can't survive. So when you are without those things in which you put meaning, there is no reconciliation for you. But that's not the way it is with the gospel. You see, we have a much longer story. We have a story of God that's been in his creation from the beginning. He's not like, uh, uh, like the, the master clock worker who, who spun the clock and it's spinning all by itself and, and it's walked away from it. No, God is still active in his creation. You know, as we look at the world going uh, spinning around us and, and it is a global phenomenon what's happening. If we really believe that God is active in this world, that nothing is surprises him or that it's outside of his control, we have to believe that God is doing something enormous in this moment. Let us not miss that. There, there's a time to have understanding about what God is doing. This is the time. In these times, we are to be the church. 
to love our neighbors, to share hope. There's no need to hoard. The church is generous. The people of God are generous. We look for ways to love the people in the church and outside the church. As we get updates, it casts us into greater and greater panic. We have resilience. Take heart. The way of suffering is golden with Jesus. There, you know this. There are those who are operating for political and personal, personal gain on both sides of politics right now. That is just bait to draw you into anger and division. Many of you even felt this. You become angry at your friends who see the hypocrisy in the other party, in the other guy. My friends, don't take the bait. Let us see what God is doing. Let us hear what God is doing. Let us do what God wants us to be about. We serve a God who knows about suffering. He knows about pandemics. You see, when Jesus was going through the suffering, he didn't want to go through the suffering either. Do you remember in the garden, in Matthew chapter 26, he cries out to the Father, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Man and one of God, I encourage you, patience, wisdom. Not, not all is as it appears. So listen to what the Lord is saying in his word. Listen to what he's saying in your times of prayer with him. See the world through a divine perspective. Do as you have been commanded. Love your neighbor. In the midst of your distress, and it's real, and it's going to get more real. In the midst of your suffering, call out to God. Samuel, God hears. Let's pray. Lord, um, help us today to not be overwhelmed, but Lord, to listen carefully, to look intently, to be patient. But we trust that you are at work in these moments. And we trust, Lord, that your kingdom will be extended and your name glorified in the midst of this. But we know even today there are those who are listening to this message and hearing from a very old story of how you have been faithful through generations. And Lord, I just ask that you would have them draw closer to you and continue to seek and find the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, we are thankful that we have a future and we have a hope. We thank you that this, this very earth will be renewed and recreated by the power of your hand. Lord, all those things that were Lord, so wrong and broken, we made right. Lord, we, we look forward to that day with you. Help us to persevere and to thrive in these days as your servants, as your people, 
uh, that we would not whimper and whine, but that we would trust in the mighty hand of our God. And so, Lord, just as you have been real and powerful and working since the days of Samuel until now, we wait on your deliverance. We look forward to your provision. And we hope in you. You are our rock. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen.